I'm Josh Blanc, sitting in this week for Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students and our city, and this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Ross, it was an interesting meeting last night. It was just one day after the State Board of Education held a hearing to discuss the state's very critical review of Boston Public Schools that they've been conducting over the last couple months. That's right, Josh. And you would have maybe expected last night to hear some sense of acknowledgement from BPS leaders about the district's failings and the difficult work ahead. But that wasn't what we heard from the superintendent and her team last night. We saw district leaders protecting individuals over the institution, defending their record and spinning the DESE report into really into a bunch of positive announcements. This is time for reflection and introspection. But last night, we saw attempts to downplay the serious issues raised by the state in this review. Yeah, it was really incredible to see the disconnect between the fairly dismissive attitudes of the district's leadership and then the justifiably outraged parents and community members who came to testify to the school committee. And that actually brings us to the second big theme we heard about last night, which is the role of the school committee in the governance of Boston Public Schools. We heard from school committee members concerned that they're being left out of the process and consulted only after decisions are being made. And the role of the school committee itself was even called into question. It was really something, Um, but we'll come back to that. The meeting began, Josh, as always with the superintendent's report. And sadly, the report opened with a reflection on the tragic shooting at Robb Elementary School in Texas that killed 19 children and two teachers. It's far too often these meetings begin with discussion of a tragedy, whether it's a loss of a student in Boston or mass killing of students in school elsewhere in the country. Enough is enough. Our thoughts are with the families in Texas and we join the chorus of people around the country in calling for our nation's political leaders to act. This can't happen any longer. The superintendent's report then continued with the touting of several accomplishments from the past few weeks. Specifically, she spoke about a new food contract for Boston Public Schools with City Fresh. She spoke about a new agreement with the bus drivers. And she spoke about Mayor Wu's announcement of a $2 billion Green New Deal for BPS. Ross, can you give us some background on these announcements? Yeah, so Josh, you know, each of these are major announcements in their own right, um, but each of them also has a, like a, a bunch of details behind them that deserve further discussion. So it's a really big deal to have City Fresh win the BPS contract. City Fresh is a terrific local company in Roxbury with great leadership. Um, we've partnered with them for a number of years in our work on My Way Cafe. Um, it's important to understand, though, this contract is for summer meals and for meals that are not part of My Way Cafe. And it would have been helpful for the superintendent and the mayor to talk about what is this contract and what is it not. It would be good to hear from the mayor and the superintendent about the future partnership of City Fresh as it relates to My Way Cafe. You'll recall, Josh, that um, over the past three years, the city, in partnership with our foundation, the Shaw Foundation, built kitchens in every school in Boston Public Schools. And those kitchens produce um, beautiful salad bars and hotline items every day on site in each and every school. And they were meant to do away with plastic wrap food being delivered to schools each and every day. Um, It would be ideal if we saw City Fresh move forward with helping to support 
the local cooking and serving of food in our schools each day. So again, while it's exciting to see that City Fresh won this part of the contract, um, it'll be important to know what is the future of serving our kids healthy, fresh food every day going forward. And then Josh, the Green New Deal. Um, we heard from the mayor a promise of a, of a new master facilities plan in two years. Um, it's hard to celebrate something um, when we don't know yet the impact on our schools. $2 billion is great, but we have 125 schools. And, and as you know, Josh, it, it costs about 100 to $200 million to build a new school. So while it's nice to have a $2 billion announcement, the details are really important to understand when we'll start to feel this impact and how we'll impact our students over time. And then, Josh, the bus driver's contract. We haven't seen it yet. It needs to be presented to the school committee still for ratification, but it's important to understand how it will lead to better on-time performance for our students. Um, we had thousands of students um, left on our streets last year without a bus route, uh, and that was unacceptable. Um, this new contract looks to have some more accountability measures in it where drivers can't just not show up anymore um, and still expect to be paid, but the previous contract, Josh, also had a lot of accountability to it that was never utilized by BPS or Transdev, um, the partner of BPS in the contract. So we'll see if the language is actually used uh, in this new contract and if drivers are held accountable for picking up every one of our students every day. So next, Ross, the superintendent handed it off to Deputy Superintendent of Academics, Drew Eccleson, to discuss the state's review of Boston Public Schools. And this was a really interesting presentation because if you listen to how he described Boston Public Schools last night and you listen to how the state described it in its report and in its hearing on Tuesday night, Ross, you would think that they're talking about two entirely different school districts. It, it, Josh, I have no, it was so alarming to me. I mean, we watched um, the entire DESE meeting and we heard um, from DESE, from, from the Department of Education saying, how concerned they were about the basic functions of BPS, not being able to pick up students, not providing basic special education services or English language learner services, um, and about, frankly, about um, the school system not reporting data, the basic functions of data appropriately about our students. And then last night we heard Dr. Eccleson um, kind of framed the majority of the report as being a huge success for BPS. In fact, Dr. Eccleson went as far to say is that BPS is a national model in a lot of the areas that were cited in the report. He also spent a significant amount of time framing the report as being not about him or about the superintendent and, and kind of trying to abdicate responsibility about what was in the report, not owning any of it, kind of saying, this is not about me or the superintendent. We are national models. Um, and then, frankly, he also minimized the challenges that were cited in the report. He, he said he disagreed with a number of the claims, including, he said, um, I disagree with the fact the report says we don't have a master facilities plan. Josh, we've talked about this <laughs> for a year. Do we have a master facilities plan? No, and Ross, the superintendent has talked about the need for a master facilities plan. At one point, she even mentioned the potential RFP for a master facilities plan. School committee members have constantly brought up the need for a master facilities plan. Uh, Hardin Coleman, who used to be a member of the committee, brought this up week after week about how there needed to be a master plan. 
So there certainly is no master. There is no master's plan. plan. And Dr. Eccleston says very clearly, I disagree with Desi that there is no plan. Come on. Like, what are we dealing? Let's deal with the facts here versus just making stuff up to make it appear that things are better than they are. Yeah, it's one thing to try to spin some of the things in the report as a positive. It's another thing to disagree with something that's, that's simply a fact. So, Josh, the whole presentation went on like this, downplaying and minimizing valid criticisms while celebrating BPS for self-proclaimed successes. Frankly, this presentation last night was a perfect example of the key issues raised in the state report. A school district that misportrays facts and data that neglects the serious needs of its students and defends individuals over the institution. We have thousands of kids not getting picked up from school or students with disabilities not getting appropriate services. If you're a parent who listened to the report last night, you would be deeply offended by the way Dr. Eccleston tried to spin what the reality really is, which is a pretty damning evaluation of the school district that is in crisis. And in fact, Ross, we heard from parents and community members last night that they were offended and outraged by the way Dr. Eccleston framed this report. Here's one parent's reaction from public comment. Frankly, after reading the DESE report, it should bring to light why this is no longer about areas for growth or what are positive findings. These are not challenges, they are emergencies. And they have remained emergencies for a very, very long time. And with, again, all the good intentions in the world do not change that this is not about who has control, receivership, it's about responsibility. And frankly, we have used those terms and that proposal and all of those topics on the table as distractions. They are distractions, just like other words we have used frequently and for three years have also been distractions. We have managed as a collective community and a district to hide behind COVID and acronyms and Zoom calls and transitions and reports and data points and using the word priority, which last time I checked means done first because it matters more. And community activist Ruby Reyes, who often testifies at these meetings, went even further in calling out BPS's dishonesty in reaction to this report. The presentation about the report from BPS was pure gaslighting. BPS is nowhere near a national model on anything. It is a report that is more than sobering and requires major action from you all as governance, not as recommendations. Many of us have been saying some of the things in the report for several years now. You can't say you didn't know. However, state receivership is not the answer. You can do that by becoming a body that does more than just rubber stamp presentations filled with sugar-coated excuses. Jerry, you talked about how you felt at the DESE meeting. Many of us feel that way every two weeks when we come to these school committee meetings. And they weren't the only ones. Even school committee chair Jerry Robinson, after hearing Dr. Eccleston's report, made these comments about the need to take this report seriously. You know, sitting there, I'll be, I will share with you that sitting there, um, I, I went through periods of feeling angry, embarrassed, frustrated and sad um, at both understanding what was being said about us, understanding some of the things that were not being said completely correctly, but just being saddened that a district of our size and stature 
um, so many everyday details and processes that are not being handled in a professional way. Um, you know, some of the examples they gave of not being not being given the correct number of bathrooms that we had, you know, said that had been updated. And when they went out to look, they found out that they weren't. I mean, these are small details, but they're critical. Not giving um, adequate um, data about what we've what we're doing and how that can throw off not just only our our um, graduation rates, but the graduation rates that the state is reporting to the federal government. So it's bigger than just a mistake. And, um, you know, number one, we must do better than this. These are not, you know, these are not um, pandemic related. Some of these things have been going on for decades and decades and decades, and they've got to stop, period. They just have to stop. It's not fair to our students. It's not fair to our teachers. It's not fair to our families. It's not fair to anyone. It's important to note that we heard from the chair of the school committee very clearly saying this has to stop. In stark contrast to the very defensive and congratulatory tone that Dr. Eccleson took in his presentation. Hopefully the urgency that Chair Robinson noted will be heard and acted upon by the leadership inside of the Boston Public Schools. And leadership and governance continued to be an important theme last night. Yesterday's meeting was the first time the school committee members were briefed on the DESE report. They didn't see it before it was presented at Tuesday's hearing, nor was it discussed with the individual members after its release. Meanwhile, the mayor, the superintendent, and the state education commissioner are in active discussions about how to remedy the issues raised in this report and what the path forward for Boston Public Schools looks like. And again, school committee members are not a part of that conversation. Now, this led to a really important question last night from school committee member Brandon Cardet Hernandez. There's one that sort of feels like the biggest one for me up front, and then I have a series of other questions. I'll respect the five minute clock and, and get back to it. But what is our role here? Like we are the governing body and I feel like we are an FYI. Like there is a back and forth happening with the state and we're being told eh, sort of after it happens. And I'm saying that on a level of self-preservation, like I, I'm here, my kid is running in and out of the room. I'm not seeing him tonight. I have made a decision to be part of this body. We are having conversations about an elected school board and an elected school committee. But to be in a situation when we're, where we're being told, we'll let you know what we're responding after we respond, it just makes like how then how does governance work? And that is, I mean, that is like the sort of basic question I have. And I'm, you know, we all work too hard to just be here as rubber stamps. And I'm I'm frustrated and a little bit confused. We are the governing body, and I feel like we are an FYI. That's a powerful and telling statement, Josh, from Mr. Cardet Hernandez. And the superintendent responds to this question by making three interesting claims. First, the superintendent says that this is an agreement between DESE and BPS, and that she is representing the school committee in that process. She does mention that she is in contact with Chair Robinson, but of course the superintendent herself is an employee of the school committee, not a member of the school committee, 
and it is clear that the other members of the committee have not been consulted. Second, she says that all operational matters are within the purview of the superintendent. And she seems to suggest that everything contained in this report, all of the serious structural leadership issues raised, falls under this category. And third, she acknowledges that the school committee will eventually have a role in the process, which is to ratify the ultimate agreement. Right, Ross, except maybe not, because a few minutes later, she jumps back in to clarify on this exact point. And here's what she says then. I will get back to you on the engagement process. Um, I will speak to the commissioner about that. Um, I also will clarify whether a vote is actually needed or not. I'm not certain that there's a vote of the full school committee. I, I just wanna make sure, um, I know we discussed it in the 2020 report. I thought we had done a vote on that one, but I don't think that maybe we did. So I just wanna clarify that piece, uh, Mr. Cardet Hernandez and Ms. Robinson and the full, yeah. the full body. So I will get clarity from the commissioner on his expectations around school committee involvement. I will get clarity and expectations around any kind of community um, opportunity to reflect on the report and provide input. And then I will get up, up clarity and uh, whether or not this body is expected to uh, vote on it. Certainly, I will bring it forward for discussion. But um, if you all have to ratify it or vote on it, I just want to get clarity on that before I overcommit to one way or the other. So maybe not a vote, but at the very least, there will be a discussion of the agreement after the decision has already been made. The meeting moved on to public comment, and then there were four reports. The first two reports last night were an annual vote on school choice and a vote on a charter amendment for UP Academy. Ross, can you talk about those two votes? Yeah, so Josh, the school choice vote is, uh, is taken, takes place every, every year. Um, and this is uh, essentially the school choice process could be that BPS would allow students to choose to go to other districts um, who, whose districts are also opting into school choice. So this is essentially an agreement between districts to work together and students from those districts could go to each other's schools. Um, every year, the committee votes no on this because they don't want to lose enrollment of students leaving BPS. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, we have a hard enough time assigning our own students in BPS that it may be difficult to accept other students from outside of BPS. So there was a unanimous vote in favor of opting out of the school choice plan again this year. However, Josh, it was raised by both the superintendent and Mr. Cardet Hernandez that this may be a useful process in the future. Maybe BPS, given its declining enrollment, should opt in to school choice and allow other students potentially to enroll in BPS given our enrollment decline. So we'll see uh, Mr. Cardet Hernandez asked the superintendent to prepare essentially a briefing on when the right time to do that would be. In terms of UP Academy, this is an unusual vote. Uh, UP Academy came to the school committee asking to decrease the number of student learning days from 185 days to 180 days. And they noted that students already have a longer day and they're looking to really have alignment between the BPS calendar and their calendar for students. And that was passed unanim unanimously by the school committee. Now, the next report last night was on summer learning plans for the summer. Ross, what did we hear? Well, Josh, we heard a very similar report to what we heard last year at this time. Last year, we heard 
every student would have a seat uh, in a summer learning program and we severely underdelivered. Um, this was a little more promising last night though. We did hear that there's 111 summer programs. It's about 20% more programs than last year. There's about 23,812 seats for summer programming, which is almost uh, half of our students in our school district uh, um, have, will have a seat in a summer program. Um, there are currently about 3,998 students registered for fifth quarter summer program seats, which has a total of 8,000 seats in their program, um, which is about 1,000 more of where we were last year. So we're trending with more students signing up than last year. Um, but we still have a lot of vacancies, a lot of seats open for summer programming. Really no further data was presented on registration for the other 15,000 seats. However, they noted that they expect to fill all the summer learning seats, um, especially in credit recovery and extended year programs. Um, so Josh, you know, I would say overall the net net here is there are a lot of summer programs out for our students in BPS. There is seems to be more attention being paid to making sure that we don't make the same mistake as we made last year, leaving a lot of seats vacant. Um, and I hope that we have another report next week or next school committee meeting that will give us updated numbers, because this is something the school committee should really pay attention to and make sure that our students and our families understand these available options for them and that we get every seat filled this year. Absolutely. And now the final report last night was an update on the search for a new superintendent. And that update came from search committee co-chair Pam Edinger. We heard last night that there were 34 total applicants, which is larger than the 15 applicants for the open superintendent position in Orange County, Florida. It's larger than the 12 applicants for the open superintendent position in Dallas, Texas. And interestingly, it's larger than the 31 applicants previously reported as having applied by the deadline for this open Boston superintendent position. We heard last night that about eight candidates will be selected for first round interviews next week. Second round interviews will be the week after that. Public hearings with the finalists will be held in mid-June. And then a vote on the final selection will be held at the end of the month. This is obviously a very tight and aggressive timeline, which led to this question from Mr. Cadet Hernandez on an issue he's raised before. I think it is time and maybe it is at our next school committee meeting for us to start having the conversation about what an interim superintendent will look like. Even if we make an offer, we have to have a superintendent. And the timeline, there are time, there may be a time gap between the person being able to start and Dr. Salius's departure. Um, and so I think I don't, I am assuming that is under our, our purview chair, um, even if it's around the interim placement. So I'm just um, curious when that conversation will make its way here and uh and when we start having it so that that person particularly i'm imagining an interim being someone who is already within the system can begin transitioning into that role and um and transitioning their 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 current workload so that they can realize the job even if it's in short term there has been talk about it we have not moved on it because we're really waiting for the search process to do their process. And basically once we have indication from the search committee as to how they are doing and if they feel they are meeting their timeline and what that might look like, I think at that point we will have fuller discussions and we will be doing that in, in collaboration with the district and with the mayor's office um, okay. to determine that. So it's still, you know, you know, we, we have, 
It's been in the back of my conversations numerous times over this past couple of months. And um, I've been asked to hold on and to allow the process to do what it is set up to do. And that's what we're doing. So no, we've, you know, it's not like it's not on people's thoughts. It's just not the moment yet to activate that next step. I but hear you. My only push, this is my loving push, is that even if we meet our deadline, I, I'm, a, I'm not a betting guy, but like I would bet big on this if I was in Vegas. Even if we meet our timeline and we get a superintendent, we will- We still will need an interim process. We're going to need an interim. Oh, yes. We, 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 we will have a transition process that the, the district is already working on. Um, you know, you know, I, I said, the I'm the kind of, per you know, you I'm, know me, I'm the kind of person that tries to work within the systems and trying to allow people to do their jobs and not jump over them with my own anxiety or anxiousness to get the next step done. So don't worry. I have pressed Mr. O'Neill many times around the issue of, um, don't forget we need, an, you know, we, we need to work with this. So it's happening. So uh, yeah. And the only thing I will add here is two pieces. One is we've got about a month. And yeah. two, the people, aware. the people on the ground who work in schools every single day deserve to know who that is, not yeah. as a sort of last minute announcement, but with just a proper runway so they can wrap their heads around this. this there has been enough instability and uncertainty on a school level. And that level of information, whoever it is that's going to be the interim through uh, for a month, for two months, for five months, like educators, principals, school leaders, assistant superintendents, they deserve to know. And like, I think we're late in just delivering that information on, on May 25th. So Josh, in those three minutes, in that interaction, we heard first that the idea of an interim superintendent is in the back of people's minds then that there is definitely going to be an interim and the district is managing that process. And then that Chair Robinson has asked Vice Chair O'Neill to make sure that there's an interim process. So Josh, there's going to be an interim and either the district or Mr. O'Neill is working on who that will be and what that process will look like. But the school committee members, Josh, whose job it is to hire and fire a superintendent don't seem to be involved in that conversation. Which brings us back to Mr. Cardet Hernandez's question at the beginning of the meeting. What is the role of the Boston School Committee? And that's what happened last night at School Committee. Here are some of the questions we think are worth asking. How will city and state leaders resolve the issues raised in the state report? Will there be a full or partial receivership of some kind? Is there a master facilities plan? If so, when will that be shared with the committee and the public? And who will be the next superintendent of Boston Public Schools? And what's the role of the public and the school committee in that process? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Listen to our special podcast series on the search for a superintendent. It's seven episodes featuring interviews with Superintendent Casilius, her five predecessors, and more than a dozen community leaders. The full series is available in your podcast feed and at bostonsuperintendent.com. And consider testifying at the next school committee meeting on June 8th at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.